At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kurt McDonald. I have the great honor of serving with a team of pastors here at Gospel Community Church. Uh, and this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's perfect and precious word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, church family, there is a lot that you can learn about the desires of the human heart by watching HGTV. That's right. You heard it here. You can learn a lot about the desires of the human heart by watching HGTV. Now, just as a confession, I just want to say this right up front. Uh, I'm a guy who has watched a lot of HGTV, uh, being into carpentry and being into uh, woodworking. Uh, there are a lot of really interesting shows uh, on there that pertain to those type of things. And so I've watched uh, a fair, fair amount of those type of shows and everyone on that network, here's what they're trying to do. Again, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it's Home and Garden TV. They, they do remodeling of homes and things like that. Here's, here's what they're all trying to do. They're all trying to create a space that is beautiful, comfortable, and calm. That's what they're all trying to do. They're all trying to create a space, uh, whether it's in a garden or they're remodeling a house or building a house from the ground up. It all needs to be beautiful, comfortable, and calm. That's what they're trying. So nobody goes into one of those spaces or one of those houses and says, oh, wow. I mean, the, the, the wallpaper from the 1970s is hideous. This is perfect. I love shag carpet. I mean, they're, they're not doing that. No, no, nobody is rejoicing that you have to go through the bathroom to get to the kitchen. You know, that's not, that's bad all the way around. So what they're doing is they're remodeling or building these spaces that are comfortable, that, that are calm, uh, so that they can enjoy them for that way. Now, here, here is another, another layer to it. It's not just they're trying to build spaces that are comfortable and, and calm. If it's secluded, it's even better. Have you noticed that in, the, in, in those shows? If they can find a place that is comfortable and calm and secluded away from people, like, uh, you know, this property is in the middle of all this acreage and land, far away from people, or this is your own desert island. You guys have seen those shows before to where they're searching for something that is comfortable, not just comfortable, but also secluded away from people because everybody knows uh, people mess things up. So if you can find a comfortable place away from people, you've really found it. And here's like the, just the, the thing that to me is the most revealing about what our human heart is really desiring is, and maybe you've seen these shows before, where they're retiring on the secluded beach in the house that's comfortable and calm. Like that is the American dream. It is the thing that everyone, that, that our hearts just are longing for. I mean, may, maybe, maybe you're saying, Pastor Kirk, tell me where to sign up. Where can I find this place, this beautiful house that is comfortable, calm, secluded away from people. I've retired. I don't have to work anymore and I can just sit back and kick my feet up. I mean, that, it, doesn't that just kind of begin to stir something in your heart that says, yeah, I, I kind of want that. As a matter of fact, many, many Americans, many people are actually building their lives 
life with that end in goal. The, the, the end goal for them is I want to be in a place in my life where I am comfortable, where I am secluded, and there is a cessation of labor. I don't have to work anymore. I just get to just sit back, relax, get one of those drinks with a little umbrella in it and just do whatever I want. And this is the end goal or what is sold to us as the American dream or what you should really strive for. And there are many, many people who are working so hard, 80, 90 hours a week to achieve that goal, to achieve that dream of being comfortable, uh, of, of being secluded, and uh, of having the cessation of labor. Now, let me tell you why that is a terrible goal. Let me explain to you this morning, church family, why that should never be the goal of a Christian, that that, that is a secular view of life and, and what we should be driving towards. And the Bible puts on display something for us that is radically different than this life of comfort, a life of seclusion and a life of cessation of labor. The Bible puts on display something radically, something radically different. Again, if you're taking notes, jot this down. If your goal is comfort, seclusion, and the cessation of labor. You will lack the wisdom, encouragement, love, support, true joy, purpose, and care that comes from an others-oriented life. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. If your goal is comfort, seclusion, and cessation of labor, you will lack the wisdom, encouragement, love, support, true joy, and purpose and care that comes from an others-oriented life. Church family, beware of those idols. We Americans are constantly bowing down to those idols of comfort, to that idol of seclusion, being by myself, doing my own thing in my own way, and that idol of cessation of work. I'm, I'm moving my entire life towards the time where I don't have to be of service to other people, where I don't have to do anything for anybody else. I, I I have ceased all work once I can finally get there. I'm telling you, church family, these are huge idols, not only in the hearts of Americans out there, but they're idols within our own hearts, which we must find and and destroy. You see, some people may actually reach that goal. They might actually reach that goal of being comfortable, secluded, and find the cessation of labor. And they might even describe themselves as being fulfilled. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, those people are incredibly, they find themselves at an extreme deficit because there is a giant hole within their soul because they are not doing and being and acting the way that God created them to be. You see, God created us to need each other. That's how God created us. God created us to need one another. This is how he has designed us. And so I know that we all love the movies where the one guy goes in and takes out the entire army. We all love the, the movies where the guy, the one guy goes in and kills the entire drug cartel or the, the leading woman goes in and she takes on the entire uh, you know, uh, crime syndicate herself. But those are Hollywood fictions. The reality is uh, you're going you're gonna to find yourself in a difficult place in your marriage and you're going to need somebody to help you. you th the reality is you're going to find yourself in a place there where you are at the total end of your rope uh, when, when it comes to your teenager or your toddler, and you are going to need some help. So whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, no matter what plane or realm you're looking at, you're going to find yourself in a place of needing someone else to come in and help you because this is the way God has designed us to be. We need each other. That is the reality. Reality. If you're taking notes, you will find yourself in a time of need. Now, here's the other side of that coin, okay? 
you will find yourself in a time of need and God has uniquely gifted you to be the exact person that meets someone else's need. God has built you and designed you to be the exact person to meet someone else's needs. So you're going to find yourself in a place of need, whether it be in your marriage, financial, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you're going to find yourself in a place of need and you are built by God, handcrafted by God to be the exact person that's going to meet someone else's needs. So that rough patch that you went through in your marriage six months ago, God wants to use that to help somebody else. That, that emotionally depressed state that you found yourself in just a while back, guess what? God wants to use that to help somebody else, to, be a, to, to, to serve the needs of someone else. The exact same thing that you went through, someone else is going to go through and you can leverage that to help someone else because our suffering and our sorrow never goes to waste. God uses it to help other people, to serve other people. This is how God has designed us. Okay, listen, here is the, the bottom line of the sermon today. The main point we've got to get to our text today. Here it is, the main idea. We need each other, so put your life on the line for the sake of others. We need each other. We need each other. We are built by God to need one another. So, or therefore, lay your life on the line for others. You see, God has specifically designed his people to need his people. God has a way of meeting the needs of his people through his people. This is how God has made us. And so we must make our way of life, we must make vulnerability Okay, vulnerability, a normal rhythm of how we interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, look, I struggle. I struggle with vulnerability. I, it, it, is, it is very difficult for me to do, but if I'm going to be served by other people, they have to know what's going on in my life. And so a part of putting my life on the line for others is learning a rhythm of vulnerability. Now, listen, some of you guys don't struggle with that. Uh, you're, you're good with telling people your business. Uh, it's, not, it's not difficult for you. Uh, it's very difficult for me. Listen, I'm not saying that you got to tell everybody, but you got to tell somebody what's really going on in your life. That, that, that's a part of putting your life on the line for others. Uh, it, it, it's a regular rhythm of putting your time uh, on the line for other people to, to serve people, to love people. It, it's, it's a regular way of putting your comfortability on the line to love and serve other people. Look, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes to have somebody else's, you know, whining, screaming kids in your house. You know, it, sometimes that's very uncomfortable if they come over for dinner and, you know, you've got your own whiny, screaming kids to deal with. But, but it's a part of putting our lives on the line in order to be uh, of service to other people. It's that others-oriented way of living. It's, it's looking at my finances and saying, these finances are not mine. They're given to me so that I can leverage them to love other people and serve other people. It's that way of viewing the entirety of our life, not shooting for the goal of comfort, seclusion, uh, and, and cessation of labor. That, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to be of service to other people. That is what we are going to find 
in our uh, in our text today. Now, just as a disclaimer, this is certainly not a call to neglect your family. Uh, your immediate family is where your acts of selfless service begin, and then they extend out into your church family and then out into the community. And so what we're going to find in our text today is um, this, this model of selfless sacrifice uh, coming from two men in particular. Okay, listen, that's the sermon done. My job now is to take us to the text and I want to prove to you that this text is saying we need each other and we need to put our life on the line for one another. So I've got to prove to you that that's what the text says. We discovered as we got into the book of Philippians that the main idea or the big idea for the whole book we discovered was uh, Philippians 1, 27. I'll just, I'll read it to you. Here is his big idea and what he wants to communicate to us throughout the whole book is this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He, he wants their life to be worthy of the gospel. And then there's, there's this particular way in which their life is worthy of the gospel because he says that he wants them to be standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The big idea of the book of Philippians is this. Live a life worthy of the gospel unified with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so live a life worthy of the gospel, unified with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that's what he wants us to do. So the question is, well, then how do we do that? Well, he, he tells us exactly how to do, he exhorts us how to do that in chapter two in verses three and four. Look, look at uh, chapter two, verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. How do we live a life worthy of the gospel, unified with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, here's how you do it. You put others' interests ahead of your own. That's how you live a life worthy of the gospel, united with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, I, I want to make sure that your needs are met. I want to make, I'm, I'm going to elevate your needs above mine. I'm going to live selflessly. Now, then as he moves through verses five through 11 in chapter two, he, he paints this, this amazing picture of the humility of Christ as he lowers himself out of heaven, taking on the form of human flesh, dying a shameful death on the cross. Then he shows the exaltation of Christ where Jesus is lifted high. He has the name above every name that every, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. And then in verses 12 through 18, we get this exhortation to walk in progressive sanctification because God is at work in our lives. Now, what happens next in the text seems strange. Uh, it, this is, it, it feels like he, he's kind of out of gear. I mean, it was, the whole thing was ramping up into this, into this certain direction. And then he gives a missionary report. He, he begins to say, hey, I would like to send Timothy over there to you. And it'd be nice if Epaphroditus could come along too. And you're like, wait a second, where are we going? Whoa, whoa, whoa. He did not shift gears at all. He did not shift gears at all. He is still pushing us towards uh, living a life worthy of the gospel by uh, putting others' needs ahead of ours and by elevating Timothy and Epaphroditus, he is giving you perfect models of what a life worthy of the gospel looks like. 
He is giving you two stellar models, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two men who have taken the interest of others and placed them above their own interests. So let's get into uh, our text uh, this morning. Uh, Look at verse 19. Here is is what he says as he begins to bring up and talk about these two uh, exemplary men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Here's what he says. I hope in the Lord. Let's stop right there. What, what does that mean to hope in the Lord? He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. What does it mean to hope in the Lord? Well, he, he's saying that his confidence, any confidence that he has is in the Lord only. That if Timothy goes and makes it to the church at Philippi, it will only be because the sovereign hand of God has carried him there. That that is uh, the apostle Paul saying, I have all faith and trust. My hope is actually in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by News of you. If you're not familiar, uh, Timothy is the Apostle Paul's partner in ministry. Uh, Timothy had been saved under the preaching of the Apostle Paul. He had then subsequently been trained for ministry by the Apostle Paul. And these men together have planted churches, ministered uh, to other people, ministered to each other all along the way. And so they are just partners, lockstep. Uh, The Apostle Paul thinks of Timothy as his spiritual son, and Timothy thinks of Paul as his spiritual father. Uh, And so he, he is a fellow pastor, a fellow laborer uh, with Paul. And so his desire then, look at verse 19 again, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Why? So that I too may be cheered of news for you. So he wants to send them news so that he is cheered up about their progress. Well, why would the apostle Paul be so excited that the church at Philippi is progressing, meaning they're becoming, they're killing sin, becoming more like Christ. Why would news like that cheer him up? Well, because he loves the Christians at Philippi. He loves them. You got to understand that this is the heart of a pastor. He wants to hear what's going on with it. Just listen to what he says in Philippians 4 uh, verse 1. He says this, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and my crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do you hear that language? Just just listen to it. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, this is the relationship that Paul has with these Christians at the church at Philippi, whom I love and long for my joy. He calls these people his joy and his crown. And so he wants to get Timothy over there to them so Timothy can minister to them so that he can hear back from Timothy about exactly what's going on with these Christians at Philippi in hopes that there would be good news and hopes that they would be growing in their faith. And that's going to that's cheer him up and bring him joy. Why? Because those people, uh, he is others focused on them. Those people are his joy and his crown. That is absolutely incredible. This is the heart of a pastor and it should be the heart of every believer. The apostle Paul is emotionally invested and emotionally connected to them in their well-being. Don't don't you see that? So so if if the apostle Paul heard that there was a family in the church at Philippi and one of their kids was sick, the, the apostle Paul wouldn't say, "Oh man, that's that that stinks, you know? Um I hope he gets better." 
No, you have to understand, he loves them. He is emotionally invested in them. That would bring him great sorrow if he heard such news. So he wants to send Timothy, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Verse 20, for or therefore or because, I want to send Timothy to you because, why, why does he want to send specifically Timothy to them? Listen to this. For I have no one like him. For I have no one like him. What that means in the Greek is, uh, it, it means there's no one else uh, literally of the same soul. There's no one else who, who shares with me like Timothy shares with me. We have this same soulness. There is, a, there is a bonded connectedness between Timothy and I, and I want to send him to you. Why? For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is willing to, to put his life on the line to love and to serve this church at Philippi. Do, do you remember what the Apostle Paul said back in verse, uh, in verse 17? Look back in, in verse 17 and, and just look at what Paul says. Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He just said, if they kill me, I'm good with it. If you guys are growing in your faith and it, and it costs my life, I'm good with it. And so because Timothy shares the same uh, interest or, or has the same soul, uh, the same desire as Paul has, Timothy says, hey, if they kill me, yet you guys grow in your faith, I'm willing to do it. You have to understand, this is a time when Christians are being persecuted. Christians are being hunted down and killed for their faith. And so if Timothy shows up in Philippi and he's the leader in the church, that's a huge target on his back. And Timothy is willing to accept the target on his back if they are growing in the Lord. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. He is willing to risk his very life for their growth in Christ. I wonder if you believe that someone else's growth in Christ is that valuable. I wonder if you believe that someone else's growth in Christ is worth the investment of your life. That's what the Apostle Paul uh, has just communicated to us. Look at verse 21, and we're going to have to kind of solve a mystery here. Uh, verse 21 says this, for they all seek their own interest. Now, um, <laughs> the mystery is, who is the they? So he says, for I have no one like him, referring to Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest. Who is the they? Uh, well, commentators argue, they go back and forth. The text is actually unclear about who the they are. Uh, here was the best guess that I saw uh, back in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 15, uh, it says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish 
ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And so the best guess is the they that is referred to uh, here in verse 21 is that group of people who are preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. That's the best guess. uh, And that's the one that we're going to go with. So we don't know exactly who the they are, but here is what we do know about them. Look back at verse 21. For they all seek their own interests not those of Christ. So we don't know who they are, but we know that they're seeking their own interests. And then he follows it up with, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, the look at the wording of this, because the wording is, is a bit interesting. He says, they all seek their own interests. You would then expect him to say, and not the interests of others. But that's not what the text says. It says they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? Why does he say it that way? Well, because he wants us to know what is in the interest of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus Christ interested in? What are the interests of Christ? Well, Jesus is interested in what he bought with his blood. Jesus cares about what they beat him for. Jesus' heart is what he was tortured over. The interest of Jesus Christ is what he was crucified for, which is the church. Jesus' interest is, specifically in this text, the people in Philippi, and generally speaking, Jesus' interest, Jesus' heart, Jesus' passion is all believers everywhere found in the context of local churches. Jesus loves his church. That's what's in the interest of Jesus. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Jesus did not die on the cross so individual Christians could find comfort, seclusion, and the cessation of work. He died so that we could be the church by meeting the needs of members in the church. So let me just uh, take a sidebar here. Uh, This is, this is, this is a pastor making a confession to you. You know, sometimes you'll be watching a sermon and he'll be like way down on a rabbit trail and the pastor don't know he's way down on a rabbit trail. Um, I'm, I'm taking this one and, and I'm, I'm going down this rabbit trail because I, I believe it's important uh, for me to, to say this. Um, if you're out there and you're watching this um, and you're not a member uh, of any local church, can I just say something to you um, as, as a Christian? So I'm speaking now to the person uh, who says, I'm a Christian, but you are not an active member of a local church. And let me just define that real quick. When I say active, I mean you regularly participate in the body of a local church and you're a member, meaning you've made a covenant promise to love and serve those people at that church. So if you say that you're a Christian, claim to be a Christian, yet you are not an active member of a church. Here's my message to you as, as a fellow brother, brother in Christ. First, you need to repent. You need to repent. Jesus loves his church. Jesus died for his church. Jesus' plan for you is to be involved in a local church, serving a local church, a part of a local church. That's why he went to the cross. And so first, your first step is to repent of sin, of neglecting Jesus' bride. Jesus loves his bride. Jesus gave his blood for his bride. And so repent of sin because you have neglected You've neglected his bride. Second, get online. You got plenty of time. You're sitting around not doing much of anything anyway. Get online, find a good church that preaches the gospel, that loves Jesus. Call them up and tell them whenever they start meeting, you're going to be there and you want to be involved in whatever way you can right now. 
That's my call to you. Now, okay, we're, we're back on track now. We gotta get back to, back to the text. Verse 22 uh, says, says this, verse 22, but you know Timothy, his proven worth, how a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He, he says that Timothy has proven worth. Look, th- this guy is not a flake. If Timothy says, I'm going to be there, he's there. If somebody is in need, you can count on Timothy to show up and meet that need. Timothy is faithful and steady. And this is what all Christians should strive to be, particularly Christian men should strive to not be flaky, to to be consistent and steady in our pursuit of loving and serving others. Look Look at what the Apostle Paul says. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. If you are not convinced that we need each other, you need to understand the Apostle Paul and who he is. The Apostle Paul just said that he is served, loved, and helped by Timothy. But it's Paul. It's the Apostle Paul, the the guy who was hand-selected by Jesus Christ himself to be an apostle. The guy who was the greatest missionary to ever walk the earth other than Jesus Christ. This dude, listen, y'all, this dude got taken up into heaven and was shown things that he ain't even allowed to talk about. I mean, this dude is a spiritual giant, yet he found himself in a place of need to where Timothy was able to minister to him. If the apostle Paul needs help, you know your broke self needs help too, and so do I. We need each other. He is served by, by this guy. If you're taking notes, just write it down again. We need each other. We need each other. This is, this is how God has designed us. This is how God uh, has created us. Now, um, I'll just let you know, uh, each week as, as I prepare and, and as I teach, God has uh, a particular way of using that text in my life. Uh, it, it is one of the great blessings uh, of preaching, uh, and it can also uh, humble you very much so. And, and this week, as, as I was preparing this message, um, kind of understanding that the main idea of what Paul is trying to get across is that we need each other, I found myself in a great place uh, of need. You see, one of my great spiritual heroes um, died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Um, and and it, it hit me very hard. Um, th- this man had written a book that changed my life forever. I, I very much so looked up to him. And, and it made me feel very weak. It made me feel very insecure. And um, I had a brother come to me and minister to me this week in my time of need as, as I found myself uh, feeling very weak, feeling very vulnerable about that whole situation. This brother came uh, and he prayed for me and he ministered to me in my time of need. And so I'm telling you, I'm telling you, church family, we need each other. We need each other. The apostle Paul here was just ministered to by Timothy. And, and this week I had the opportunity to be ministered to by another brother in this church. We absolutely need each other. We cannot live the Christian life alone. If you're taking notes, the only way we can become who God intends for us to be is if we rely on each other. Amen. Verse 23. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, 
Again, the Apostle Paul's in prison. He's in chains. He's, he's under guard. He doesn't know what's going to happen next. Are they going to execute him? Are they, they going to let him go? He, he's not sure what's going to happen. And so he says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will also come. Again, this, this is a heart that says, it doesn't really matter much what happens with me. I'm on the way to love and serve you. It's astonishing to hear him say this. I mean, why isn't he saying, I'm the one locked up? You know, if he's locked up, if you understand that the Roman prison system, look, if you don't have friends and family bringing you stuff, giving you medical attention, you just don't get it. But here's the Apostle Paul saying, I'm going to take my best guy, my, my best friend, my, my partner in the ministry. And don't you think that the Apostle Paul's heart is saying, I want Timothy to stay here with me because I'm locked up? Of course it is. But in, in the interest of others, in his others-oriented way of life, he, he is willing to send Timothy out so that they can minister to, so that Timothy can minister to them. And just as soon as he gets out of that place, he's headed straight for Philippi so that he, he too can minister to them. Now, he's going to now take a step away from Timothy and raise to us yet another amazing example. Listen to this next section in verse uh, 25 says this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, listen to this five-fold distinction that he gives this man, Epaphroditus. He says, he is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my needs. The minister, Paul just said, this guy showed up and ministered to my needs. The, the spiritual giant, Apostle Paul, is ministered to by a guy who doesn't preach sermons, doesn't write books of the Bible like the Apostle Paul. All this guy did is show up with financial aid for the Apostle Paul, yet he, he absolutely met his needs. There, there is a silly idea that creeps into uh, the heads of Christians that says, I don't have anything to offer. Yet here is the lowly servant. He, he's not as eloquent or as well-trained or as well-taught as Timothy is. Epaphroditus could have thought, well, I'm just a nobody. I mean, there's Timothy, there's Timothy and Paul and man, those guys, I mean, they really get it done for the Lord. But I, I mean, I don't have anything to bring. I don't have anything to offer. All he does is show up with financial support for Paul and, and, and probably ministers to him in, in that way. And, and the, the distinction here that Paul gives him, look, again, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger. So, so the people of Philippi had sent Epaphroditus with that financial gift, your messenger, and minister to my needs. I find the first three distinctions there very interesting. He calls him a brother. That is this idea of a brother in arms, a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. I mean, this is, I imagine, you know, Paul there in Rome looking at Roman soldiers and thinking about the way that they do battle. That is arm to arm, shields locked together, moving in lockstep as they minister. That is the picture that is being painted here. And so what we have to understand that living for others, living an others-focused life or putting your life on the line for other people is no walk in the park. 
This is not a call to a life of comfort, a life of seclusion, a life of cessation of work. That is not what this is at all. This is a call to be a, a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier is the call uh, from the text. If you're taking notes, the time for selfless sacrifice is now and it ends when you die or Jesus returns. That's the call from this text. The time for selfless sacrifice is now, right now in the Christian life. And it, and it ends all of the, the self-sacrifice, all of the others focused, all of that ends only when Jesus Returns. Look at verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. <laughs> he, he's upset, not because he almost died, which we're about to find out about. He's not upset that he almost died. He's upset because they heard about him being close to death. Why would he be upset that they heard that he was close to death? Because he knows that they're going to be worried about him. And so he is distressed over this matter. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard that he was ill. And so as the, the, the church in Philippi gathered funds, they gave it to Epaphroditus. And then Epaphroditus went on this really long journey to get from Philippi to Rome. And somewhere along the way, either he was severely injured or he got very sick. And the dude almost died. And, and he's not concerned about that. He's more concerned about them. He is others He's others focus. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says this, In, Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So in verse 28, he says, And I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice to see him again, that I may not be anxious. You have to understand they did not live in the age of modern medicine. And so if you got close to dying, you usually died. But here God performed a miracle and saved Epaphroditus' life. But, but look at and notice this about this verse. No, Epaphroditus didn't die. God saved his life. But it just stopped Paul from having sorrow upon sorrow. And he doesn't send him so that he won't be anxious. He sends him so that he'll be less anxious. Did you see that in the text? Look at uh, verse 27 and verse 28 again. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but me also, least I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may be rejoiced in seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Here's what the Apostle Paul is revealing to us in this great text. If you're taking notes, true joy does not mean the absence of suffering or sorrow. He is exhorting them to experience joy in their suffering and sorrow. Here's the reality, church family. When you put your life on the line for the sake of others, you open yourself up emotionally for more sorrow, but this is where you will find your true joy. As you open yourself up to other people, as you invest yourself in the lives of the other members of this church and they go through struggles, you're gonna essentially be helping them carry that burden. 
You're going to be taking on the sorrow of children with special needs. You're going to be taking on the sorrow of difficult marriages. You're taking on these sorrows. You're bearing these burdens with other people in the church. And yes, you do open yourself up to more burden and more sorrow. But church family, that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us here, that this is where we find joy, that, that there isn't joy in, in comfort and seclusion and cessation of labor. That's not where you find true joy. Where you find true joy is giving your life away, putting your life on the line, understanding that you have needs and God has built you to meet the needs of other people and laying your life on the line for other people. We got to move. Verse 29 and 30 says this, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Again, if you're taking notes, put your life on the line for the sake of others. That's exactly what Epaphroditus just did. And the Apostle Paul is lifting him up as an example of what we must do. Put our lives on the line for the sake of others. As you're looking at a text like this, again, you can, you can just blow right through it and, and it's just a missionary report or you can slow down and realize the depths and the riches that are here. But as you're looking at, hey, I hope to send you Timothy. Here's how awesome he is. I hope to send you Epaphroditus. You know, these guys have really laid it on the line and you should do the same. How can we really take this text and, and land it in our laps. How do we apply such a text like this? Well, I think we absolutely apply it this way. Write this down. Let's make it our mission that not one single member of Gospel Community Church ever feels alone. Let's make it our goal that not one member is ever able to say, I had to face that by myself. Let's make it our goal that not one single member ever says, no one understood me and no one took care of me. Let's be that kind of church. Let's be that kind of people, that others-focused, others-oriented type of people. And let me just say this, don't just expect the pastors to do it. It's our job and we're going to do it and we're committed to, to being others focused and to loving people and serving people. We're absolutely committed. But this is a call to all Christians everywhere to take part in know, knowing and understanding that we are needy people and knowing that we're designed and built to meet the needs of other people in this church. And so don't just leave it for the pastors and the deacons, but you as a member, you take part in this. You take part in meeting the needs of other members of this church and you can start in your community group. You can start by finding out the needs of your community group, the prayer needs, the financial needs, uh, the, the physical needs that are going on in your community group. And you can start by meeting those particular needs. I'll close with this. You see, church family, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus was willing to put his life on the line and he was following in the footsteps of his master who actually gave his life in the service for others. He was following in the way of his master, Jesus Christ, who had his back laid open for the cause of other people, for the benefit of other people, who was nailed to the cross there and bled and died for, for other people. He literally laid his life on the line so that we might know God and we might celebrate him and know him forever and be his people. This is what our master Jesus has done. And the call from scripture is to follow in the footsteps of our master. We absolutely need each other. Let's lay our life on the line 
for the sake of others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for preserving this great text for us. This text, which can seemingly be something as simple as a missionary report, but deep within its words holds for us a meaning, deep within its words holds for us our very way of life, this way of life, which is others focused, this way of life, which is laying our life on the line for the sake of others. Oh, that Gospel Community Church would be known for its selfless sacrifice to other people. Lord, let us not be consumed with our own comfort. Let us not bow down to the God of seclusion. Let us not bow down to the God of cessation of work, but let us be a people who are humble, selfless, loving, and others-focused, others-oriented. If that is so, it will only be because of the power and the work of your Holy Spirit. So send your spirit and begin that work in us now. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.